Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of Indie Matters. This week, we're talking with freshman assemblyman Howard Watts about his thoughts on the session so far and about the five bills that he's introduced, four of which are moving along in the political process. While Howard is a freshman assemblyman, this is not his first time in the legislature. Before this, he was a community organizer and lobbyist for the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, and then he was a communication specialist for Great Basin Water Network. And just a quick note before we get going, if you hear any faint thunder in the background of this episode, it was actually a beautiful day when we were recording, and that was just my stomach grumbling because for lunch I only ate a pack of gummies because I'm a 12-year-old. Okay, now on to the sponsor and then the episode. Let's get into it. In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan journalism, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsorships for the podcast and events. The sponsors have no input into topics or content. This episode of Indie Matters is sponsored by the Nevada Mining Association. Okay. Assemblyman Watts, thank you so much for coming on to the Indie Matters podcast and uh, agreeing to sit down with us. How are you feeling after last night's deadline night? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast. Uh, you know, I, I feel a little tired. It was a long day. We were debating and voting on a lot of bills, but I think that we got everything done in the time that we needed to get it done in. And then we're right back here at 9 a.m. for a couple of bills in Judiciary Committee this morning. So overall, I'm feeling good. And you are a, a, this is a freshman. This is your first legislative session. Um, mm-hmm. And as a freshman, you've had several bills introduced. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, not on the podcast, but just between us. For several of your bills haven't made it through the legislative process. One of those had to do with land banks. I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about what that experience is like, both having an idea for the bill, working on it, and then having it come up short on on one of these deadline days? Sure. Um, so I introduced five bills this session, and uh, one of them was AB 249, which would have allowed for the creation of land banks, which is kind of a, an additional redevelopment tool that local governments could use. So when it comes to that bill, you know, it's, it's very technical and complex. It deals with the ability for these new entities to acquire land, to extinguish taxes and liens on it, clear the title, so with the goal of taking kind of abandoned tax delinquent properties and getting them put back into use. But those things are technical, they involve the legal system, they involve money, and so it's something that you really want to get right. So I had kind of a baseline that I that I put in, we got the language back, and then started getting feedback from local governments who would have the ability to create these from you know, business entities and other interests who had suggestions or concerns and tried to go through them. And so we're working on trying to get those all addressed. But I think it was just, that's an example of something where a lot of people agreed that it was a good idea, but we only have so much time to get our our business accomplished. And sometimes good ideas end up having to be pushed out to another session because people just don't feel like like all the details are there. And personally, I'm someone who believes in the process and getting it right. So if we don't feel like we're confident that we can get it to the place that it needs to be to have it be the best possible policy, then it's best to let it go, work on it in the interim, and then come back with a stronger policy next time. So you're not too disappointed to see that bill not make it through? It's probably better to let it wait two years and to, to work, continue to work on it in the interim? Or I try to have a positive attitude about those things. You know, I have four other bills that are still moving through the process. I had a couple of bills that I was allowed to take on and and run with from committees and from leadership. So 
I've still got plenty of work to do in working those bills and making sure they get enacted into law. And again, you know, I would love to get all of my ideas through, but the part of this process is building on things over time and working on ideas over time and getting stakeholders in the mix. So as a freshman, you know, that's just an example of a policy where I think it's uh, something that we just couldn't get done in one session and that's okay. I'm, I'm curious, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. So before this interview, I went onto your campaign website, right? And you have all these policy ideas and goals on there, like ending the death penalty, raising minimum wage, a lot of stuff like you can put on campaign mailers and say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. In the legislature, though, you've introduced bills that have to do with a lot more technical aspects. Land banks is one of them. I think you had a manufactured home bill. You have one about allowing or requiring the Secretary of State to hold uh, or to continue to hold polling places on Indian reservations. Can you talk a little bit about balancing those two things, those kind of like those big ticket items that might make it onto like a campaign mailer and then what you actually uh, have been able to run with here in Carson City? That's a great question. Well, you know, I serve on three committees out of 10 in the assembly. I sit on the Judiciary Committee, the Natural Resources and uh, Agriculture and Mining Committee, and the Growth and Infrastructure Committee. So uh, those are kind of the areas where I hone in more uh, on issues. But then, you know, after bills are processed from committee, they come to the floor for a vote. And so ultimately, I think, you know, and I hope to have the opportunity to support all of those, but most of those pieces of legislation uh, or policy ideas that were listed on my campaign website were introduced by other legislators. So I'm not going to duplicate their efforts by putting in the exact same bill. And I'll support it when when it's my time to support it in the process, whether that's in the committee uh, or whether it's on the floor. So what I really did is I tried to hone in on my areas of passion and expertise. So I have a water conservation bill. Folks may know that I've been very involved in those issues. It's something that's important to me. So I wanted to take on some legislation to move that forward. When it comes to the tribal polling sites, voting rights is another thing that I did. I registered a lot of people to vote. I'm very passionate about improving the electoral process and also about kind of issues of um, racial equity. So I think that was a, a great opportunity to do something that brought both of those things together. The district that I represent, District 15 down in Las Vegas, covers a chunk of Boulder Highway uh, and the area around it. There's a lot of mobile home communities there. And so that's what led me to look into ideas that could help people that live in those communities. So I really tried to think of what could address needs of people in the district that I represent. What are passions that I have that I could introduce legislation on? And also, again, I'm, I'm a freshman coming into this. So I didn't want to take on gigantic issue that needs a lot of work with a lot of stakeholders when I'm just kind of getting my feet wet as a legislator and getting to know kind of all the dynamics and all the people. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it works for me is I think I can still follow through on those campaign promises through my work on the committees and my votes on the floor. But I wanted to use my bills to to address things that I think weren't being met and that are important to the people in my district and that I think I have some expertise to share. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to call you a total freshman. I, you know, you've been around the building for a while. <laughs> it's not like you don't know where the, the bathrooms are, how kind of the whole process works. <laughs> but I understand it must be different to be on the, the other side and behind the desk. And it the, is, yeah. yeah. So another way that you can 
show support for those bills and those uh, sort of big ticket items is to be a co-sponsor on pieces of legislation. And two that you co-sponsored uh, didn't make it yesterday, the, the uh, physician aid and suicide bill and then the uh, bill by Assemblyman Edgar Flores to uh, prohibit ice holds for, for local police departments. I, I don't expect you to be able to speak to what happened in the Senate, but on the Assembly side, were you disappointed to see um, Mr. Flores' bill not move forward? Yeah, when I when I sign on in support of legislation and and say that I want to see it go forward, I do. And sometimes, you know, it's still going to go through the process and it's going to be amended. And I think it was a good policy. I would love to have seen it go through, but I don't really have anything to say about how how that process worked. I really, and it may sound strange, but we really all do kind of focus on the bills that we have under our purview. So and, and trying to work those and get those through the process. So. I can't speak to why um, of Flores' bill didn't move forward, but you know I supported it, and and uh, I hope something similar comes forward again next session, and I'll support it again then. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask you to like talk about internal caucus communications, at least on the podcast. But yeah. um, you know, you were there last night. You were there during that discussion. Did you feel at all that the decision to not bring that bill up was brought because of? Political pressures, whether it's the Republican Party calling this the sanctuary state bill or all of the sort of rhetoric that's come around because of this piece of legislation? Uh, I don't know. I can't really speak to that too much. Uh, I do know that I am aware of the rhetoric. There's rhetoric on a lot of issues. And what I can say is that generally our approach has not been my approach as a legislator and our approach as a caucus, as a Democratic caucus, has not been to make decisions based on rhetoric or on public polling or any of that stuff, we're, we're trying to make decisions based on what we think is going to be best for the state. And that's honestly been something that I've been refreshed by. As somebody who was involved in the process before, as an advocate, it, it's kind of, there is kind of a shroud of mystery on what, it, what happens on the other side behind closed doors. And I've been really excited to find that the uh, house of cards, you know, political maneuvering is not there and that it's really about doing, working as hard as we can in 120 days to vet a lot of policy ideas and figure out what what do we think is actually going to be the best for the state. And and again, sometimes there's good ideas that, you know, it doesn't mean there's not politics involved, but whether it's that, whether it's just that the policy hasn't, we can't get it worked out in time, some of those ideas don't move forward and then we have to circle back and try again. And I've had experience with that as an advocate too, where you're working on something and you can't get it through and you have to just deal with it and, and get prepared and see what you can do to build support so that you can get it through next time. And I don't want to ask you to talk too much in terms of details on that bill because I know you were a co-sponsor and it was Assemblyman Flores' bill. But one of the criticisms that uh, Assembly Speaker Jason Frierson said today was that the bill didn't do anything that Metro is not currently doing in terms of ice holds. And it was sort of criticized as being a non-effective piece of legislation. Do you think that, that that's an accurate portrayal? Do you think the bill would have gone farther or would have done more than, than that description? I don't think it's an accurate portrayal per se because we do enact pieces of legislation to codify practices um, and to make sure that that's the standard moving forward. So I don't think – I think there was a lot of rhetoric, uh, as you were saying, that it was trying to go above and beyond and be something that it was not intended to be. But I don't think that just because enacting a law doesn't change how things are going, that it doesn't mean that that's worth pursuing. Because again, if we don't codify that as the standard, then the practices can change. 
I think that's a valid public policy consideration for, for enacting legislation. You might be enacting the status quo, but sometimes there's concern that the status quo could change to something that we don't want to see. And so that's it's a good time to put in legislation to, to codify things in our statutes. I guess in sort of a broader picture, right, there's this sort of narrative that the Assembly Democrats and your gigantic, nearly three dozen person caucus, there's some sort of dividing line between more business friendly centrist and the, the progressive wing. Do you think that's an accurate portrayal as well? Or is that something that people who spend too much time paying attention to the legislature kind of have come up with? I don't see that personally. I've gotten to know members of the caucus, and we all bring different backgrounds and different experiences and preferences and ideologies to the process. But I don't, I don't think there's uh, any clear dividing line. I, I mean, if you asked me to name who are the progressive legislators in our caucus, I don't know how I'd answer that. You know, I can potentially narrow it down to a smaller group or say that it's every single member of our caucus, because I think we all share some values that I would consider quite progressive. So, and, and I think everybody, again, makes decisions based on what do they think is best for the state? What do they think is best for the constituents that they represent? And so I've seen, you know, we've gone through this deadline where we've taken a lot of votes and we've seen some people on both sides of the aisle vote differently than their colleagues. And I think that shows that people are using that independent judgment and making those decisions. But I would not, just because somebody takes position that's opposed to mine on a particular bill, it's just, that's one issue and they're acting on their background and experience. And I don't think that makes them any less progressive. And speaking personally, as somebody who identifies as a progressive, I also want to hear from businesses and have reached out to them on all the legislation that I've put forward and worked with them because just because I have an idea and a goal and, and I have values that we may end up in conflict on. We may have areas where we just disagree, but they also may bring up really valid points that I can incorporate to make that a better policy that I actually feel is more nuanced and is going to meet the needs of the state and reduce uh, one of our favorite terms in the legislature, unintended consequences. I think th those are all good points, but I would just ask, like, in terms of, again, to go back to some of these big ticket items, like the ones you, you campaigned on and ran on, in terms of, like, raising the minimum wage, do you think that Democratic lawmakers are, are maybe running the risk of watering it down too much to, to kind of reach a compromise with business versus what it probably should go up to? I know the, the bill Speaker Frierson had is the, the 12 11 uh, per hour minimum depending on health insurance, but is that something you would like to see higher or do you think that was brought down to try and get concessions from the, you know, the chambers of commerce and that, that sort of side of the aisle? Sure. That's a good question. Uh, of course, I campaigned on wanting to get to a $15 minimum wage. So yes, I'd like to see it higher. Uh, I'm still extremely happy that that bill's moving forward. We need to increase our minimum wage. And, you know, at the end of the day, we need to come up with something that we can get through the process. And, you know, the speaker has run that bill and is vetting it and working it with stakeholders. And so I don't want to uh, second guess the process he's going through. I wouldn't want my colleagues to second guess the process I'm going through on some of my bills to try and get them to a place where they're politically workable or where the policy is something that I feel comfortable with. Because again, I can introduce something based on my ideals, but when we put it in here and we have members of the community and all these different interests providing feedback, I think the only responsible thing for us to do is to truly listen to that, take it in, and and then compare that with what it is that we want to do and achieve, and then try and figure out how we can mesh those things together as as 
best we can. So just for the sake of argument, this minimum wage bill that Speaker Frierson is working on has been waived from legislative deadlines, didn't have to come up on either of the, the last two deadlines. If a version of this bill comes out that waters it down even more and say it goes to like a $9 per hour increase, um, it, will it ever reach a level where you will be uncomfortable voting for it or won't vote for it? Or will you vote for, for any increase in the minimum wage? I mean, I'll, you know, if it's, I don't believe in um, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And, you know, to me, do it, not supporting an increase in the minimum wage because it's not what I want is like cutting off your nose to spite your face. So uh, anything that we can do, I think that is one of the most consequential policies to help reduce poverty, to help the folks that are working day to day and trying to make ends meet. However much we can put into their pocket, I'm going to support it no matter what. And going back to your question about kind of is there a split, I think there's probably a range of viewpoints, but all of us in that caucus support increasing the minimum wage. So to me, that's a progressive value that we all share. I hope that we get this bill through exactly as it is now and that we can get it signed into law. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe the equation changes on the assembly side, given that there's more than a two-thirds majority, you can kind of pass whatever you want and it doesn't really matter what Republicans say. Or I remember in particular your, your mobile home bill, I think Assemblyman Al Kramer said like it was the best bill he's seen, which was just kind of a, a trip because, you know, you two come from very different backgrounds. But can you talk a little bit about how it's been working with uh, Republican lawmakers? I, I think not not to belabor the point too much, but Speaker Frierson said that there's something like 90% of the bills passed out with bipartisan support. Is that important for you to, to see that that happen so far in the process? It is important to me. You know, again, we are going to have contentious issues where there are philosophical divides uh, that pretty much fall along partisan lines. And that's okay, because I think we need to have all those people come and bring that to the to the legislative process. As far as working with Republican legislators, you know, I've signed on as a co-sponsor to measures that have been brought forward by my Republican colleagues. I've voted in support of measures that have been brought forward by Republican colleagues. And we took a lot of votes yesterday and a lot of them were unanimous. But again, it speaks to putting the process and uh, a vetting policy above kind of partisanship. Uh, if it's a good policy, we're gonna do everything possible to try and move that forward and make it work regardless of, of political affiliation. So it's been important to me to seek out um, bipartisan support and to seek out those differing viewpoints. You know, I've got three bills that I've been working on have uh, had floor votes in the assembly. One, the tribal voting bill got unanimous support yesterday, which I was extremely excited about. Uh, another bill went through with one vote in opposition and uh, the other one went through with the water conservation bill had a, a party line vote. And I'm working to figure out what those concerns are and, you know, see if there's something that we can still work out as that bill heads over into the Senate. But, you know, I, at the end of the day, I think it's important that we communicate and work together. And, and it's also okay at the end of the day for people to just reach different conclusions on the issue. Do you, I guess, feel any difficulty when you see things like the state Republican Party or Adam Laxalt sending out these missives calling you guys like, you know, the the felon-loving, sanctuary state wanting um, Democrats? Does that throw any, like, wrenches in sort of those relationships with legislators, or are you guys kind of staying above? I feel like that's that? outside of the process, uh, especially those entities that you mentioned. They're not here. You know, I'm sitting in committee and on the floor with my Republican colleagues every single day that we're that we're doing business here in the legislature. And are there 
there's some people just you know there's different personalities are some people more of the the people that kind of want to make those speeches or put out the rhetoric sure but i think the vast vast majority of legislators here again regardless of party are just trying to do that good work for the state and so when those things come out i find them disingenuous and distasteful and a sign of what's wrong with politics writ large but i don't hang that on my Republican colleagues in the uh, in the assembly or or in the legislature as a whole. The the last thing I wanted to ask you about assemblymen is um, serving on the judiciary committee. You guys have seen a lot of really progressive criminal justice reform bills come forward. Whether it's the bill to make uh, cash bail kind of the last available option, there were the twenty five recommendations by the Crime and Justice Institute. There's been a lot of questions. I think a lot of those bills have been exempted or they're still being worked on behind the scenes. Are you confident that a lot of that stuff is going to be able to get out of this legislative session given the the time that's left? I am. I am. I know that, uh, like you said, a lot of those things are being worked on behind the scenes. They have exemptions from deadlines. And I know that, you know, you talk about the Assembly Judiciary Committee, Chair Yeager uh, is doing an excellent job of working on, on those measures on getting the stakeholders together. If you follow judiciary meetings, you know there's kind of public defenders tend to be on uh, in one place, uh, district attorneys in another place, law enforcement uh, also has their own kind of set of, of opinions, and those are uh, they're they're pretty consistently involved in anything about criminal justice reform, as well as community organizations and community members and leaders. And uh, I think that. Uh, Chair Yeager and other committee members have been working hard to get everybody in a room, uh, again, because we want to have good sound policy and we want to get it through the process. So uh, I think that they've been reaching out to all those different stakeholders, trying to engage people uh, in both parties to create something that, you know, with that major criminal justice bill, it's it's ambitious and it's probably uh, still going to end up in a place where some people are going to not be comfortable with it. But I think that we can do some things to to take in that feedback and make the policy the best it can possibly be. And I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're going to get those things, uh, that we're going to get bail reform, that we're going to get kind of a more systematic look and approach at criminal justice reforms in, in Nevada passed during the session. Mm-hmm. And the topic of bail has always been interesting to me because, you know, you have the governor like saying in multiple occasions, both during and after the campaign, that he wants to end cash bail. You had the rally outside here a couple of weeks ago, the, the end cash bail rally. Do you think it'll get to the, the spot where, I know Assemblyman Fumo's bill doesn't abolish it, it makes it the last available option, but do you think that's a realistic thing to expect and uh, given all the work that's going into it and some of the concerns that were brought up during that hearing? Uh, I don't know. And again, I don't want to speak to the process that Assemblyman Fumo uh, is going through with that bill or Assemblywoman Neal, who also has a bail reform bill. However, I think there's a lot of agreement that we can make some improvements to our pretrial system uh, so that people aren't sitting in jail simply because they have the inability to post bond. And that people, especially people who tend to be lower income, are not having to pay for a bail bond, which, you know, they have to put up a percentage of that bond that they don't get back. Uh, whereas people with means can actually put up all the money to post bond. And as long as they show up for for a trial, they get all that money back. So we've recognized that there's some fairness issues and that they have to be addressed. And I think we're all committed to finding a way to address them. You know, where it uh, where it falls on the spectrum between Tweaking the process, making bail the last option—I don't—I'm not sure, but I'm confident that we're gonna 
that we're going to make a substantial progress to address that issue of, of fairness and, and equity that I think is missing in the system right now. And just as a last question, I just want to ask you this. We've got 44, 43 days left. Joey, if I'm wrong, edit this out. We have uh, 40 something <laughs> days left in the process. How will you measure whether or not your first tenure is going to be a success? Is, is it going to be passing your four bills that are still alive out and getting them to the governor's desk for a signature? Are there particular um, uh, big ticket items that you want to see passed inside into law that, that you would count as success? How, how are you kind of measuring whether or not this, how, how to measure this session? That's a good question, and I don't think I would set a specific threshold of I have to get all my bills that are that are still remaining to the governor's desk, uh, although that's certainly what I'm trying for. You know, I think as both the Senate and Assembly Democratic caucuses re- released a blueprint laying out some of the key things that we wanted to do to move the state forward, and I think if we get a vast majority of those issues accomplished and move forward, I think that's going to be a huge measure of success. It goes back to what you were talking about in terms of a lot of the things that I posted on my website as uh, during my campaign as things that I wanted to achieve and work on. I would like to get, love to get all my bills through, but I think, you know, as long as I can get most of them through, I would consider that a success. And I just want to say, even the, the ones that don't go through, it's okay. I, I feel like that's okay because I learn a lot from that, from working on the policy, from working with the different stakeholders. So even just the experience of getting involved in these different issues, when you take on a bill and get all this additional information and go into kind of the weeds and the nuances, that's something that I'm into. I'm a, I'm a policy person at heart, so I really like diving into that stuff. So just having the ability to do that and to build relationships and, and, and work on these issues will be successful no matter what. But I do want to get as much of, of that those agendas accomplished as possible. All right. Simon Watts, thank you so much for spending all the time with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the pod. Thank you for listening to episode 93 of the Indie Matters podcast. We're coming up on episode 100 of Indie Matters. If you have any ideas on what we should do to celebrate this milestone, you can email me at joey at the You can also email me if you have any ideas, criticism, or praise for the podcast. I want to thank Assemblyman Watts for being on today and Riley for asking all the good questions. I also want to give a shout out to Garrett Colt, who emailed me about the podcast. Seriously, send me an email. I'll give you a shout out. Make sure to check out the site, thenevadaindependent.com daily as the legislative session moves into the last third and things start to heat up. And follow us on all social media to have minute-to-minute coverage on everything going on in Nevada. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of Indie Matters. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Next week.